Hello and welcome to the Under Centre podcast. I am your host, Daramar, and I am joined by two members of the Irish royal family who are going to have an in-depth interview with Oprah next week, Fionn Malloy and Jake Woolhead. Guys, you have some way to go to be as popular as last Sunday's interview. Yeah, well, yeah. we're trying to catch up. Um, obviously, we need the viewership to match that. Uh, but when we get Oprah on the show, because I'm sure she's uh, maybe a Bengals fan, I don't know. <laughs> the only... I was going to say, the only thing I'm disappointed in is you gave Oprah the scoop and you haven't asked me to do the interview. Yeah, and as well, we have the big blockbuster that uh, me and Jake actually have a baby together as well. And we didn't know. That's the shocking part of this (laughs) whole thing. That would be accepted by the teammates. So (laughs) that really upset Jake a lot. And that's why we moved to Canada. Yeah, well... Is it, because, is it because somebody on the team, and we won't name names, asked what team is the baby going to support? Yeah, definitely. Okay. It definitely is not going to be the football team anyway. It was definitely going to be a Cowboys fan, okay. for sure. We oh. can both agree on then that. Then we just sent the baby to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, another packed show for you this week. We're going to be speaking about Dak Prescott's new mega contract, along with the franchise tags, uh, and maybe more interestingly, the players that have not been tagged today uh, by their teams. Uh, then in the second half of the show, we are going to continue our off-season series, looking at the needs of the Arizona Cardinals and Baltimore Ravens. And this week, we are delighted to be joined by Dan Reardon and Kevin uh, Ostrager, who from the Locked On Ravens. David's podcast. Uh, Dan, uh, how are you today? Good guys. Thanks for having me. This is the first thing I've actually recorded, so uh, deal with my terrible voice and my constant stumbling throughout it. <laughs> it's gone a lot, though, so it should be good, you know? It's okay, Dan. I've been doing this now for, I think it's our 10th show. I still can't uh, read words off the screen properly either, so you're in good company today. Uh, Kevin, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, guys. Yeah, I host a podcast five days a week, so I think recording's like in my brain now. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't get out of recording mode, even when I'm not recording. Like in the house, I'll just, I'll just be talking, like, like I'm recording. So that's my mindset now. But I'm doing well. Your general life is now recording a podcast twenty four seven. I never stop. I never stop. The eight hours of sleeping might be a bit of a lull, but I'm sure there's. Some I, th- I think I probably talk in my sleep, and I'm, I'm <laughs> just recording there too. That's where you get the hot takes. before we get into the news if you are watching on youtube if you can please like this video and subscribe to the dynamo podcast network you will find our podcast there each and every week along with so many other great podcasts like the superior comic show if you are a comic book fan or king woe's court if you are a metal music fan and you need your fix for the week uh, with carol talking to some great guests from all around ireland and while you're at it go to our facebook facebook.com forward slash under center pod and our instagram twitter and tiktok is all at under center pod so make sure you give us a follow there as well we're going to start off the news this week with uh even though there's been a sea of player cuts there has been one mega contract signed or agreed to at least and that's Dak prescott and the dallas cowboys a quarterback saga is over as Dak and owner jerry jones came to an agreement on a massive four-year 160 million dollar contract breaks down like this 126 million of this is going to be fully guaranteed over the first three years of the contract 75 million of that will be paid in year one alone he'll be a 22 million cap hit for the next season and he's also made sure he's inserted a no tag and a no trade clause in there too uh fiona i'm going to start with you what do you think of this contract signing i think it's a good contract for 
for Mr. Prescott. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. It's a lot of guaranteed money setting a record. So the, the quarterbacks always like to set these records every time they sign a contract and move the market forward for all the guys coming behind them. It's not the record-setting amount of money, but I think over four years, that'll suit the Cowboys a little bit because clearly they haven't been super into Dak. There was something there that didn't say, right, just give him whatever he's asking for, and that's why this saga has dragged out so long. So I think both sides are probably happy with the length. I don't know about you, Jake, but personally, as a Washington fan, I like this signing. I'm not that scared of Dak anymore, to be honest. I'm happy they've locked into him for the next four years. I think there's much more dangerous quarterbacks out there. And if he's the man at the helm for the Cowboys, I feel pretty comfortable playing them twice a year. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that myself. Like, I think Dak is massively uh, like uh, overrated as a player. Like, he is a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. But he, he's coming off one of the strongest supporting casts that um, most quarterbacks have. So I think he is a tad bit overrated. But yeah, I agree with you. I'm super, I'm, I'm excited because there was some rumors that there could have been uh, Russell Wilson to the Cowboys and I would have been a whole lot more scared having to face Russell Wilson twice a year. Um, and then as well, like he's coming off this big injury, like and it was a really shocking injury that happened last season. So all accounts, it's, he's coming back well and everything is going to plan, but he's still kind of a mobile QB. He can use them legs. Is it going to slow him down? Is it going to keep him in the pocket? And can the Cowboys protect him in the pocket as well? There are questions that I have about him as well. And then another point I see, and I was thinking that um, it's just going to be the another good thing for us NFC East fans that aren't Cowboys fans is that uh, it's just going to be the Cowboys continuously possibly getting towards the end of the playoffs and then just getting uh, knocked out which I'm always happy to see anyway, because the Giants, we all know they're not getting there anytime soon. So, Well, guys, I'm just going to make sure I clip this part of the show now <laughs> for when next season, when the Cowboys possibly run away with the division after destroying the Cowboys or destroying the Giants and Washington both games. And then remember to when Fiona and Jake said, I'm not scared of Dak Prescott. And then, but, then they get knocked out anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you won't be saying it like that when you use it when you get hammered home and away. But sure, uh, Dan, what did you think of this uh, signing? Um, everyone hates on Dak a little bit. Like everyone who's not a Cowboys fan kind of thinks, "Oh, Dak, he's overrated. He's never going to do anything. He's just kind of average. He's going to demand a lot of money." But last season, if he had finished sixteen games, he was on for like a six thousand yard pace. So he did show that he can do it. It's just whether he actually can do that for 16 games. Like, I think I worked it out and he was like, maybe going to pass for 28 touchdowns last year, which really doesn't demand the numbers that you should be getting. But it's still pretty good. So I don't really understand why everyone gives such hate towards Dak. Kevin, uh, I know from the Ravens side of things anyway, uh, Lamar has his contract coming up soon. So sort of Dak is setting that bar a little higher for uh, quarterbacks getting paid. Yeah, absolutely. This was pretty big news in Ravens circles just because with Dak Prescott, you know, him coming off a huge injury. I mean, he gets that guaranteed money. He's set now. And with the tag provision on there, too, the Cowboys can't tag him after this deal is over. So it's a great deal for Prescott and also for the Cowboys. I mean, they get their guy. They're familiar. They're familiar with him there. But with Lamar Jackson, I mean, after Patrick Mahomes got that mega deal from the Kansas City Chiefs, it seemed like. Lamar Jackson's deal, in my opinion, was going to be less than that. But I think it's going to fall in the realm of a Deshaun Watson deal there or the Dak Prescott deal here, kind of in that area. Because to me, Lamar Jackson is probably going to get over $40 million per year. 
uh, how, how they work that money out, how Eric DeCasa decides to do that. But in a press conference earlier, he said, yeah, we haven't really started that yet. We've, we've had a couple of nice conversations, but they haven't really started those negotiations yet. I don't think they're in any rush. You know, Lamar Jackson, I think, wants to be in Baltimore and the Ravens want him there. So this news was pretty big, but all in all, I'm happy for Dak Prescott that he got his money. I think he deserves it. And, and for the Cowboys, I mean, their offense is loaded again now. Can they get their defense right? You know, if, if their defense isn't able to stop anything, I don't think it really matters. Yeah, and I hope the GM uh, or the negotiating team on the Ravens is a lot better than the Cowboys because they could have had him for about $30 million a season 30, yeah. <laughs> this time last year. And I think uh, I think Adam Schefter uh, actually tweeted out saying, big fan of the show, noted follower. <laughs> uh, but he actually tweeted out, I think this time last year, um, GM uh, said, what did he say? Oh, uh, it's a it's a process. It's moving along, and the signing is imminent. And a year mm. later, the signing has finally happened uh, <laughs> for forty million. So we'll see. Like like you, most of I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. Congrats to Dak. It's fantastic. You know, he stared down the Cowboys, and Jerry Jones blinked. You know, which is great. He stood his ground. He believed in himself, and you know that's that's what you want to see. On the team side of things, though, I do find it very interesting because there's a lot of heavy contracts. Uh, coming up uh, in a season where the obviously the cap space is going to be a lot smaller. Uh, I was looking at it earlier on. You've got like Amari Cooper, Zeke Elliott, the Marcus Lawrence, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith. All these are really, really high contracts. So, you know, it could be something that we see. Maybe a few releases are going to happen in the next week or so. I don't know. Possibly. We could even see maybe two of them released because you can't take on that many high profile players um, and then still have a competitive team around it because you're just looking for veteran minimums or, you know, unsigned draft picks or unsigned free free agents, you know. Um, But we'll we'll see what happens this coming year. And obviously the questions around Mike McCarthy as well um, will will gather because he's, well, he'll have, hopefully he'll have that for a full season. So we'll see what his plan uh, is there. Uh, We'll move on to the franchise tag. Uh, Today was actually meant to be the deadline for teams to use at the franchise tag. And I need our players whose contracts are coming to an end. Um, There are a few players who have been tagged uh, as we are recording today. I'll just run through. It's actually not that long of a list. Uh, It's uh, Bronco safety, Justin Simmons, uh, jet safety, uh, Marcus May. We've got Washington guard, Brandon Sheriff, uh, Bucks wide receiver, Chris Godwin, uh, Jaguars tackle, Cam Robinson, Giants, uh, defensive lineman Leonard Williams, Bears wide receiver Alan Robinson, uh, Panthers offensive tackle uh, Taylor uh, Moulton, and actually just in the last half an hour or so, Saints have franchise tagged their safety Marcus Williams. So a few, uh, not all the teams are using their franchise tag. A few players that will not be getting tagged and probably a surprise that they're not. Uh, the likes of Kenny Galladay, Bud Dupree, you've got Shaq, Barrett and uh, Levante David at the Bucks, Hunter Henry, Hassan Reddick, Joe Tooney, John Johnson from the Rams, Johnny Smith from the Titans. But guys, I want to ask you, and I'll start with you, Jake, on this one. Um, is there any players there that haven't been tagged that you're surprised that the team haven't tried to keep them? Yeah, I mean, like there's a few there. Like I, I always thought they'd keep Jonu Smith or at least tag him. I like him. I think he's a great tight end. And then I just seen recently, like uh, in the past half hour as well, Aaron Jones is not going to be tagged. Kind of makes a lot, lot of sense for the Packers. But like you would think a player of Jones caliber should be, should be tagged. Um, but 
I think a lot of the tagged players make a lot of sense to me. Some of the teams have hard decisions to make with the quality players that they have. And I mean, it's a good problem to have is to have to decide who you're going to pay because they're all excellent players. I think the, the Bucks tagged Godwin. So then they have to they have to sort uh, Shaq Barrett out. And is it Carl Lawson on the Bucks as well? Um, uh, no, Carl Lawson's with the Bengals. It's uh, Levante David. Levante David. So like they have to work out that. Now I'm hearing that the Bucks have they're in contract talks with these guys to see if they can extend them and keep them there on the Buccaneers. They probably want to stick around with Tom Brady as well. So, but I definitely would have thought Johnny Smith would have attacked. That was one that kind of shocked me a bit. Yeah. Look, I'll admit along with offensive line, I think franchise tagging is one of those dark arts that I can't really get my head around. It, it depends a lot on whether they can talk to the guys outside of the franchise tag and get a contract done without needing to franchise tag them. The money can be very funny depending on how many times they've been tagged, what the average salary is, all this crazy stuff. So to me, it's a little bit darker. So nobody really stands out who didn't get franchise tagged. I don't really know what the backstories of any of these guys are, who's close to signing, who wants to leave. Like, So I think it'll depend. One thing that stood out to me is three safeties on that short list. There must be a, a, a rise in the market, I think, maybe. And the, the teams are taking the franchise tag now while it's cheap, expecting the, the money they'd have to pay for these players to go up in the next couple of seasons. So I think that's wise. From a Washington standpoint, Sheriff got tagged. I am happy. He's a great player. Also a little bit nervous. We have a recent history of letting really top-notch offensive linemen get away from us. And it makes me a little nervous that we haven't been able to sit this guy down and sign a long-term contract with him. I think the environment in Washington is improving. It's starting to get close to a place where players want to be there and the, the personnel are turning over and it seems to be a better environment for everybody. But definitely nervous that they didn't get a long-term contract. Yeah, on that, um, I forgot to mention as well that you mentioned there that the Giants uh, tagged Leonard Williams and obviously last season or the season before, the Giants traded the Jets and gave away a third and a fifth for for the rights to negotiate exclusively with Leonard Williams, Williams, which failed last year. And again, it looks like it's failed again this year. We're just going to overpay him. But I'm happy with him. He he is a very productive player on the Giants as well. So maybe they get a deal done before, before the date. Uh, expires that they can't even work it on an, anymore so that's one of them I, I like was keeping Williams as well but it is kind of slight overpay as well yeah and as you said there Dara you said that um, Carson isn't going to be franchise tagged by the Seahawks I picked that up yeah Carson and, and uh, Shaquille Griffin they won't be yeah see from a pure fantasy lineup now that just spells Najee Harris to <laughs> the Seahawks to me and fear <laughs> The Cardinals fan coming after it. That's that's if he drops as far as the second round, because yeah, they don't have a first round pick this year, so they have to hope. And no one wants to pick him up in the first round. I've seen actually the Jets using their pick they got from the Seahawks to get him in a lot of mock drafts. But you know, you know the Seahawks—they just love drafting a running back in the first round. That just never works anyway. But uh, yeah, like. Just looking at some names, I was surprised that Kenny Galladay wasn't tagged. Not because I think they could have got a contract extension with him, but to try and keep him for a year just so uh, Goff has someone there to throw to um, because they're already losing the likes of Marvin Jones. You'll only really have the likes of, you know, Hawkinson, the tight end there really to throw to unless obviously they're going to pick up someone in, in free agency. But I don't know if you get anyone to the caliber of, of, 
uh, Galladay. And also uh, Trey Henriksen from the Saints was an interesting one that they're going to let go. I think he's one of the best and probably underrated um, uh, edge rushers there in the league last year. Um, obviously, when you have Cameron Jordan on one side, you know, he's he's going to get all the, the attention. But uh, Henriksen was re- a really, really good player last year, especially. So I'm sure a lot of teams would be looking to pick him up now in, in free agency. But uh, Kevin, what do you think yourself? Uh, is there anyone there that you're surprised that the team haven't tagged? Yeah, I, I thought Kenny Galladay was almost a sure thing. I mean, looking at Detroit's wide receiver room now, it's there's Tyrell Williams, who they just signed. But other than that, I mean, I think... Geronimo Allison's on that team and, and some other guys who are assigned to futures deals, but Galladay hits the market now. And, you know, probably upwards of $20 million is coming his way on a long-term deal. And I mean, that was really the one huge surprise for me, the, the, the Ravens and their franchise tag situation. Since I talk about the Ravens for a living, it was, it was between Matthew Judon and Yanni Kingakwe. It seems like the two star pass rushers they have, but with the way that they performed in 2020 and they don't have a ton of cap this off season, especially with the cap dropping. So I don't think it was necessarily a surprise, but it seems now with the decision not to franchise tag either that they're, they're about as good as gone now. And the Ravens have five of their six edge rushers entering free agency here in 2021. So that's going to be a room that's going to look a lot different and probably will not have Matthew Junon or Yanni Kingakwe in there because they didn't get tagged. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, sorry, on, on the Galladay thing as well, I've been following Galladay and Alan Robinson quite closely. They've been like uh, a lot of Giants fans are hoping one of them f- found their way over here. Uh, obviously, it might not be happening with Robinson now. We probably can't afford Galladay. But my thoughts on the Galladay, what it didn't shock me on the Lions is we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I said that the Lions should just blow the whole thing up and they're just letting, they're taking on um, Goff's contract and letting the whole team fall asunder until they can uh, rebuild it, get rid of Goff, get a new quarterback in there. And there's no point in paying Galladay. And then by the time he's uh, too old and you've got a new quarterback and stuff, it's too late then. So for me, it, it made sense. Just there's no point overpaying for him. Maybe they get a comp pick if somebody else signs him to a massive contract. Well, it's obviously, it's clear that Galladay is not a player who's going to bite someone's kneecaps off. So uh, he's obviously not Lions material. That's that's the obvious reason why he's being let walk. But, but Dan, what what you think yourself? And I know uh, I saw the news that Hassan Reddick has been told that he's not going to get tagged, so he's going to be let walk. I guess it's okay to sort of let him walk with the signing of J.J. Watt, which we'll get into in a little bit, but... Is there any sort of other players that took your uh, atten- that took your eye there and surprised that the teams are letting them walk? The Reddick one did kind of surprise me a bit because I kind of had him down as the player we might fight chance at because he just it makes more sense because we're only paying him three million at the minute just because of the rookie deal, but he's going to demand a lot more money. And the Cardinals, we'll talk about it later. They have a lot of a lot of starters coming back that are going to need deals, so I'm not really a hundred percent sure on that. On the on the Lions side, there talking about Galladay, they've signed Terrell Williams, so you know they're they're sorted. They're going to have absolutely no issues at wide receiver. Everyone always uses Terrell Williams for everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> apart from that, like Fionn says, it just seems like they've a lot of safeties this year. Franchise tags, so I'm not really sure. Like, there's so many tags. There's the transition tag. There's the franchise tag. Eventually, you just kind of get to the stage where. You could just assume, unless they're a major player like Aaron Jones, if they don't get franchise tag, it's not going to be that big a deal. Yeah, and it's that's it. And with running back, it's such a, a strange position whether they want to, to tag him or not. Because I think for a running back, the tag is about 15 million. 
Um, and I think the estimates for free agents this year is going to be between seven and eight. So it does make sense for teams not to be franchise tagging their their running backs. Now that's just me trying to uh, justify the decision to let Chris Carson walk in my head. So don't take that into account too much. Uh, but we'll move on from the franchise tag and we're going to continue with our off-season series. Uh, this week, it's the turn of the Arizona Cardinals and the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to start with the Cardinals. Uh, and, of course, we have Cards fan Dan here. Uh, first, uh, the signing at JJ Watt. Uh, were you happy? Oh, you could not be happy. Like, I hear the spin on it. A lot of people are saying, oh, he's washed. He's not going to be any good. You're overpaying. But at the same time, JJ Watt still gets double-teamed a lot. He's still very high up in the ranks for position at that group. You put him and Chandler Jones on the other side. I heard someone giving a bit of flack last week saying, oh, they'll never play in the same team because they're always injured. (laughs) But Chandler Jones missed a season, okay? He doesn't miss that many games. It's one season. Getting 16 games, Dan, by the way. 16 games. (laughs) He still gets 28 sacks a year. It's fine. (laughs) Just even them out. Be grand. But, um... I think if you have Chandler Jones on one side, you have J.J. Watt on the other side, you're going to get a lot of work done on that defensive line. Fair enough, if you run up the middle, you're probably still going to go right through the Cardinals. But anyone who tries to pass a la Russell Wilson, it's not going to be that good. Uh, but It's okay, Dan. Russell Wilson's not going to be in the division next season anyway. So it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to be with the Bears, so we don't have to worry about him at yeah. all. <laughs> and I, I agree with you, I think, as well. You guys have a really nice uh, dynamic defense at the moment full of young guys. I like your safety, uh, Buda Baker. He can run around and make some plays. So I think you're right there. Find a guy, even if you're slightly overpaying for him, his value comes purely on the other teams have to still double-team him for at least two more seasons. And that double-team just opens everything up especially with the guys on the other side like you said maybe it will fix the run down the middle if you've got a double team both the outside guys that leaves two or even three in the middle to try and plug up so you would hope the pro athletes could probably plug up the middle if they if they get that kind of look on the defensive side of the ball the cardinals the minute you're is there's going to be a lot of overturn like you say you have buddha baker there who they paid last year and is a very quality like very solid safety you're not going to have any issues you have Isaiah Simmons there, the rookie they drafted, number eight overall, I think it was last year. He came on very slowly at the start of the year. He's building game by game. He did have that interception in the uh, Seahawks extravaganza game. You probably remember it, Dara. It was the one, I think it was like week eight or something, where they just went yeah. back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And Russell Wilson threw that moon ball just all the way across to DK. Probably one of the seven moon balls he threw that year, I'd say. But... um. Like it's the corner position for the Cardinals on the defense. It's the main issue at the minute. It's you're gonna have, I think it's like four or five corners are all going to free agency. And to be honest, none of them are any good. Like Patrick Peterson is washed at this stage. He came back from that season where he got the eight-game PED ban. And without the PEDs, it just looked like everyone could beat him. I don't think there was a wide receiver in the league that didn't beat him this year. So uh, you can't pay Patrick Peterson 14 million this year. It's just not going to happen. So unless Patrick Peterson says, I'm going to take a very, very team-friendly deal, he's hitting free agency. I don't know how much money he's actually going to clear. They have Byron Murphy. I think he's a third-year player now, a corner as well. So expect the Cardinals to either draft a corner 
or go heavy after another corner in free agency. And I haven't even looked at the list to see which ones are available at the minute. You can get Richard Chairman if you want. <laughs> uh, do you have any ACLs left or are they all gone at this stage I don't know I think he he, he ruptured his Achilles I think there at, at State Farm anyway I think for a couple of years there was at least one big Seahawk player that kept going down uh, in Arizona every game and it was like a season ender obviously the, the main one is like the Earl Thomas one where he's just flipping off the whole Seahawks bench the, on the way off the yeah, field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. remember that one. Yeah, that was the that was a great stretcher ride, that one. He did yeah. not happy at all. He was no. going back to the franchise tag. He was franchise tag that season, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, no, he was actually still under contract. It was his last year of his deal. He just wanted a new one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's just take a step back very quickly and... I want to know about the 2020 season and what you made of it, because it seemed as though it was a very positive step forward for the team. You know, Kyler Murray started off the year on fire. He was in the MVP conversation for a couple of weeks as well. Towards the end of the year, though, his form disappeared maybe just a little bit. Um, were teams sort of figuring the offense out or was it just down to maybe a few, a, a number of injuries just sort of piling up? Um, I don't think it was really down to any injuries. Like near the end, Kyler got a bit injured, but that was the last two games or so. They shot kind of out of the cannon, like really fast at the start of the season. They had that back and forth game with the 49ers, and then they played Fionn's football team the next game, and they, they fairly comprehensively beat you down, Fionn, as well. Just, just going to bring that up. I was disappointed with our defensive line, I have to say. <laughs> I think it's just because Kyler's fast. I think he can just run around back there. It's the same, like, you know, Kevin probably knows well with Lamar. If you have a quarterback who can run around, it works pretty well sometimes. But um, there was there was a few games there. Like, we lost the Lions by a field goal. That shouldn't be allowed to happen. And we then lost the Patriots, which with Cam Newton, again, that can't happen either. We lost the Panthers. Like, those are three games. If you're a playoff team, you you can't you can't lose those games. We finished eight and eight. It, there was signs of positivity, but a lot of it was just like Cliff Kingsbury is like, I don't know, Sean McVay light. He's just like, he can't actually call a play properly. He's great at sitting there at a whiteboard and trying to like draw a lot of X's and O's. But when it comes to actually in-game situations, you're just calling stupid plays. You have DeAndre Hopkins. You have 10 yards to get why are you giving him a five and in or a hitch route? Like, just just get him to run, throw the ball to him. He's going to catch it one-on-one. It's just, it's simple. You don't need to overthink it sometimes. And I think this year coming, Kime and Kingsbury are going to have, you know, a lot on their plate. If they if they mess up, if they don't get into the playoffs next year, I'd say Kime is gone. and I'd say Kingsbury is going with him because it's just, like, not really that acceptable. They should have been better than eight and eight, really. It's interesting, yeah, because I was going to ask that as well about uh, Kingsbury because they are building this roster with a lot of stars there. This is they are building this to the you know the quote unquote win now mode. Um, so I'm guessing ownership is not going to accept another eight and eight season. Um, I read an interview with Bidwell, the owner. He's um. I don't know if you ever watched the All or Nothing series with the Cardinals. He's, he seems quite like laid back and he doesn't really have a whole lot of go about him. He obviously has to have a bit of go about him. But he did say this year that he expected at the start of the year after we were 
2-0, that we would be making a strong push. And that on the back half of the year, I think we were three and six. You can't, that can't happen. And he did say next year, there will be an expectation of playoff football. Whether they go far in the playoffs, I don't know. I don't think the roster is that well built yet. But at the same time, you do have to see this progress. And I can't see Kingsbury being around much longer if they don't make the playoffs next year, especially with, what is it, seven teams getting the playoff now from each conference. I would have thought uh, they would have given Kingsbury uh, like a bit of a longer leash now, to be fair. Um, I know he hasn't done exactly the most in the past, what was it, two years. But I would have said, like, you probably scapegoat your GM before you get rid of Kingsbury and then let Kingsbury kind of pick his own GM nearly and uh, work with the it. The Kime Bomb. Way. You can't huh? get rid of the Kime Bomb. <laughs> But, you know, sometimes these, like, college head coach, everybody really wanted Cliff Kingsbury when he was coming in. So I would have thought, like, uh, there wouldn't be that many rumours that you're going to get rid of him two years in or three years in. I have an idea. Why don't we ask Kyler Murray, seeing as quarterbacks pick GMs and head coaches now, and see what he wants to do? You go back to your little cave, (laughs) Jerry Jones, lizard man. Uh you just you're just so salty it's just because you don't have a quarterback that can actually command that sort of you know presence in the locker room. The football we didn't even like the one we had. We didn't even want them. We were like, oh, you're yeah. back. Oh Jesus. The football team was like two-thirds of a quarterback there. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. But Dan, you were saying about free agents, and I have a list of a few of them here. You mentioned Patrick Peterson, but Kenyon Drake is also a free agent. Drake or Patrick, Corey Peters, Marcus Golden, just to name a few. A lot on the defense, especially, that are uh, free agents. Um, which sort of players are, would you be prioritizing to want to come back? Noting that like they are already a ranked 12 defense from last season. I think next year... On the defensive side of the ball, anyway, the draft will be a massive thing. Like, I think they'll probably have to draft a corner. Safety, I don't think they'll be too bad. But um, I would be expecting them to re-sign some of those linebackers. Like, I think Hassan Reddick is probably the biggest deal we're probably going to give out to one of our one of our free agents. But I, I, that's why I thought the franchise tag was going to be coming for him. So I was a bit surprised today. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, like I'm not sure whether this is Larry's last year. It probably was his last year. I can't see them taking him. I, well, obviously, if Larry wants to come back, he comes back. Arizona, just give him that. That's not a question. As for Drake, um, I'd be very surprised if Drake is back. I think Drake will probably be out the door, and the Cardinals will be looking at a second-round running back. Whether ETN could fall that far, I don't think he will fall that far. I could see the Falcons maybe taking him earlier in the round. But um, I think there is a, another good running back in the class. I think there's Najee Harris, uh, Etienne. They're the top two. And then is it Devonta Smith? Is that the name of the next guy? I can't remember the next running back's name. He's, he's, the, he's the wide receiver. Oh, Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith, yeah. yeah. Um, now that running back, the third one escapes me. But uh, I've seen him mocked at the Cardinals a few times. Yeah. The offensive line is just is just the offensive line. They won't fix that. This is too too many holes in it. Well, that's it. And that's one thing that I noticed in, in the games last year as well is that uh, defensive penalties definitely sort of killed uh, the team, especially or offensive penalties, you should say, on the offensive line killed the team a lot. Um, especially in the I think it was the the 
Seahawks game, the return game of Century Link. The, just any momentum was killed in that game, just with either holding penalties or false start penalties and stuff like. That. So, like, do you not hold out any hope at all that they could recruit? Because there is a lot of good offensive linemen that are, are hitting free agency this year. Yeah, like they might make a move in free agency, but just historically from everything I've seen from Kime, he never really tends to go anywhere near the offensive line. He tends to put it together with as many cheap people as he can. The left side of the offensive line, we're already playing Pew. I think it's 11 million and we're playing DJ Humphreys, who was awful. We're paying him like 12 million. So I can't see him doing anything with the left. They both still have two years left on those deals. Whether he decides to go and get a right guard or a right tackle, it wouldn't surprise me. But the center is probably going to be Mason Cole again this year. So I can't see him making any massive moves unless he decides to draft someone at uh, 16 or wherever we draft for the offensive line. But again, I'm mostly seeing like links to corners in the first round for the Cardinals. Okay, cool. I think uh, we'll leave our Cardinals talk there for that. Um, thanks, Dan, so much. Um, just a bit of breaking news before we move on to the Ravens. Um, we spoke about earlier on, uh, and I think that's what you're going to say, Jake. You're going to interrupt. Go on, I'll let you say it. Levante David has signed a two-year deal with the Buccaneers. Yeah. So he's staying in Tampa Bay for at least the next two years anyway. $25 million extension for uh, the team captain as well. So now it's just Shaq Barrett, who's the real uh, free agent, who they have to try and see if they can uh, keep hold of now or will they let him go. We'll, we'll have to just wait and see. But we're going to move on and we're going to talk about the Baltimore Ravens. We have uh, Kevin here from Locked on Ravens. Kevin, I want to start off with the 2020 season. Uh, Lamar Jackson got his first playoff win, but it was then followed up with a disappointing loss to the Bills uh, in the divisional round. What did you make of the season as a whole? It was certainly an interesting year. I mean, for the whole NFL with the pandemic, I think the Ravens were probably the team that were hit the hardest by COVID, you know, having to place almost 20 guys on the COVID list at once, go into Pittsburgh at Heinz Field and play the Steelers. They couldn't even field a full roster. And, you know, by the end of that game, Trace McSorley was throwing passes and it, they almost won that game. But you mentioned the playoff loss to Buffalo. Lamar Jackson gets his first playoff win in Tennessee. They kind of avenged that Titans loss from earlier in the season. But you talked about the offensive line sometimes being the downfall of teams. And in that Buffalo game, the Ravens, I think someone rated actual like pure rankings. Their whole left side of the or the, the whole right side of the offensive line had F grades. I think the left guard had a D D minus. Like it was it was awful. The Ravens with Ronnie Stanley's injury in Pittsburgh or in Baltimore against Pittsburgh, and then you have the retirement of Marshall Yonda, who was a future Hall of Fame guard. They were kind of piecing together this offensive line, and it doesn't matter how good your quarterback is, your running backs are, your wide receivers. If there's a defensive player in the backfield on every single play to start off a play, I don't think anything's going to be able to to work there. And for this Ravens team, they start off fast. They beat down the Cleveland Browns in week one. They, they still try to find their identity though. This team was the top rushing team. They broke records in 2019 rushing the football. And it still seemed like they were trying to force the football. They were trying to force it down the field with Lamar Jackson. And that's not like a slight or anything to Lamar Jackson, but this team, they run the football better right now than, than they throw it. And that's also due to the fact that sometimes Greg Roman doesn't have a cap on what he's doing. And, it just seems a little difficult to put a pure grade on this season because it was so different, but 
they go down, you know, they have to win every single game of their last five to get into the playoffs. And they do because they, what do they do? They run the football. They run it almost 30 times a game. Gus Edwards and JK Dobbins, who was phenomenal over the last half of the season, they, they carried this team to the playoffs on, on the back of Lamar Jackson as well. The defense stepped it up and now heading into the off season is, can they advance past the divisional round? Can they, can they get the pieces for Lamar Jackson? I mean, I'm sure dad knows, you know, DeAndre Hopkins did wonders for Kyler Murray. And also that was, you know, Kyler Murray evolved on his own as well. And Lamar Jackson has been evolving himself, but can you get Lamar Jackson a number one wide receiver? You know, Allen Robinson's not in play anymore because of the franchise tag, same with Chris Godwin, but Kenny Galladay seems out of the price range now. And in 2020, the Ravens, I mean, they signed Des Bryant. It doesn't really work out. Miles Boykin doesn't really develop. Marquise Brown has some tough weeks. They, Lamar Jackson was pretty much throwing to no one. I mean, Mark Andrews had a pretty good year, but it was tough in some instances, but the Ravens rallied together. They put together a nice back half of the year, and, and that gives me optimism for them in 2021. Yeah. I, I just want to jump in here and say thank you very much. I know you're, it's your home team, but thank you for saying J.K. Dobbins had a fantastic year, particularly <laughs> the end of the year. We put out a list of top five running backs who I thought this season's top five running backs. I bought him number five. Who's number one? Goddess. Who's I number one? Lamar Jackson number one as well. <laughs> I was trying to troll a few people with that one. But uh, J.K. Dobbins, I really did think, deserved to be on that list. Of course, you can make – I left a couple of guys off, but it's only a top five, so you have to you have to make some cuts here. But, yeah, I got a little bit of backlash, and I was surprised. I thought he had a really phenomenal year. I thought people nearly forgot that he was a rookie. He did so well. Yeah, I mean, he, he led the whole NFL in yards per carry, or at least NFL running backs in yards per carry at six yards a carry. And that was after, you know, earlier in the year, he was getting maybe one carry a game, three carries a game. But he had, I think, his stat line against Cincinnati in week five or six was one carry for 34 yards. He had, like, the best run of that game. And, you know, the Ravens, he, he was putting out the production. So they, they pretty much had to give him more opportunities. And heading into this 2021 season, it's going to be him and Gus Edwards. And Dobbins is probably going to be the lead guy there. And I mean, he, he showed that he can do it. Yeah, he definitely uh, did a good job of sort of pushing Mark Ingram out aside as well. The, he sort of wasn't, he, he wasn't even uh, getting dressed for game days toward the end of the year. Yeah. And that, that whole thing, it was tough because Ingram has such a good 2019 year. He, he scored 15 total touchdowns for this team. And, and he was, he was literally like the life force of this team. He, he was the veteran guy in the locker room. He was dancing. He was, you know, such a good guy for a culture of a team and he'll land on his feet somewhere for sure. He's definitely not done, but definitely slowed down. Definitely wasn't what he was. And the reason that they decided to activate justice Hill over him was because justice Hill plays special teams and he's, he's a gunner for this team. And Mark Ingram, you know, quite frankly, does not do that. And the Ravens decided that they had two good runners and Dobbins and Edwards, and they could use justice Hill on third downs. They use him in motion situations and Ingram, Ingram was pushed out. He wasn't worth the, the $6 million this year. I think the Ravens saved 5 million from cutting him. They had a $1 million cap or dead cap hit, but yeah, it, it was tough to say goodbye to Ingram just because he was, you know, such a life force, such a joy to watch. And, but this is a, what have you done for me lately league where, you know, you might have one great year and then the next year you, you do nothing and teams will, teams will let go. And, you know, it's, it kind of speaks to the loyalty of some teams as people will call it. And like, well, you know, what are you doing? You know, this guy did so much for your franchise, but I mean, as players have called it, it's, it's a harsh business sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. You, know, you, you mentioned that, uh, the please God get um, Lamar Jackson the number one wide receiver. Where do you think they go? Do they go through the draft or do they get someone like Curtis Samuel or something along the lines of that type of wide receiver? Yeah, I personally love Corey Davis. I think Corey Davis from Tennessee would be a perfect fit for this offense because in a run heavy scheme in Tennessee where Derrick Henry was that offense, he still put up close to a thousand yards and 
So he's been in, you know, a situation where, hey, look, I'm not going to get the football 25 times a game. I'm not going to catch 10 touchdowns a year sometimes. But, you know, if the team is winning, he's a good blocker as well. The Ravens love that in their receivers. That's why Miles Boykin gets playing time, because he is the best blocker from the wide receiver position on this team. I, I love Corey Davis. You mentioned Curtis Samuel. He's another guy who I think could do wonders in this offense. Just use him in so many different ways. But with the Ravens, their wide receivers right now, they're so young. They're so young right now. On the roster, they have four guys, and all four of them are entering their third year or above, or below, third year or below. They have two guys entering their third year and two guys entering their second year. So if the Ravens do draft a wide receiver, let's say in the first round, and then they go in the sixth round and draft another, I assume they're keeping six wide receivers on the roster. I think that's been pretty standard for them. If they don't bring in a veteran at all, you know, if they don't have that Des Bryant or Willie Sneed or whatnot, they're entering the year with six guys, all of, all six of them who are entering their third year or below, which is honestly maybe a bit too young for me. I think having a veteran in, in that room would do wonders for not only just mentorship, as Des Bryant proved in, in 2020, but I mean, veteran receivers know how to work back to a quarterback when they're in trouble at the NFL level. They have that experience. They can find soft spots in a zone, soft spots in a defense, and I think the Ravens value that. I think a name that's been linked to them a bunch is Marvin Jones. I mean, his skill set fits what the Ravens need. They need a big physical receiver who can go up and catch contested passes. And and Marvin Jones certainly fits that. I, I wouldn't, you know, throw the bank at Marvin Jones, but if he comes on a modest deal, I mean, I think he'd be great. So Corey Davis is definitely my number one option. I definitely think they're going to take a receiver in this draft as well. I think the, the class is just too deep, not for them to, to take a receiver. There's so many good prospects, but I'd predict that they maybe take one in the in the third to fifth round range and then go after a guy like Corey Davis or, or Curtis Samuel. Yeah, and with the likes of Matthew Don, Yannick Ngakwe, DJ Fluke, or Willie Sneed, they're all becoming free agents, among others. Which um, which players do you think uh, the team should prioritize and bring them back? Yeah, well, I certainly think Derek Wolf is one that the Ravens definitely need to bring back or should look into bringing back. I don't know if anybody here remembers, but... Michael Brockers was a Raven for, I think, 10 days, and uh, they signed him to a three-year $30 million contract, and the whole thing with the COVID physicals and getting guys into the building to take these physicals, the Ravens didn't get Michael Brockers in the building. He took a physical. I think he took it in Los Angeles. The Ravens didn't like what they saw, and we said, hey, man, we're, we don't like this. I don't think we're going to – this isn't going to work out. So after making Michael Brockers their huge free agency signing that year, they go back to the drawing board. And, you know, Michael Brackers goes back to L.A. Derek Wolf had always wanted to be in Baltimore. He said in his opening press conference that this was something that he he wanted. He, he said at the trade deadline in 2019, he told his agent, hey, find, find me a way to get to Baltimore. Let, let that happen. It didn't work out. When Michael Brackers signed with Baltimore, Derek Wolf, his number one choice was the Ravens. He comes in on a one-year, $6 million deal and is one of the best run defenders in the NFL. He only has one sack, so it wasn't really a guy who the Ravens relied on for interior pressure but he would be great as a rotational piece. He's, he's not asked to play 90% of snaps. He, he's, you know, maybe 75, 60% here because Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell, who, who were their, you know, two big guys last year were good. Tyus Bowser is another guy who I think the Ravens should definitely look into bringing back. It doesn't look like his market is going to be as lucrative as I, I thought it was going to be. I thought he was going to get 12, $13 million, but people are predicting, you know, maybe 5 million a year, 8 million a year. And Tyus Bowser, the sack numbers aren't like, you know, eye popping off the screen, but he drops back into coverage. He sets the edge very well. And that's important. You have a bunch of edge guys who can do a lot of different things. Pernum McPhee, another edge guy who I think they could bring back. 
it doesn't seem like, you know, Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe, as I mentioned, are probably going to come back. It doesn't seem that way at all. Des Bryant was pretty public with the fact that he wasn't coming back on, on Twitter. He said, hey, look, I'm grateful for the opportunity Baltimore gave me, but I, it just wasn't for me. The fit wasn't for me. And to be fair, they didn't use him the way they should have. And Willie Sneed, it kind of seems like the same thing for them. So a lot of decisions to be made. But for me, I think the uh, interior of the offensive line is going to be huge. The Ravens didn't have a center who could snap the football to Lamar Jackson the whole season. Lamar Jackson was catching these like one handed snaps like, you know, Odell Beckham style that I've never seen before. It was unbelievable. So if they can get Lamar Jackson some help on the offensive line and in a couple of nice receivers, I mean, this offense has the potential to be a lot more dangerous than it was in 2020. Yeah. And with the, with a few of the mock drafts that I've seen so far, I've seen actually a few um, linebackers actually being drafted in the first round by the Ravens. And obviously they got uh, Patrick queen last season um, who had a, he had a pretty good for like for a rookie. I thought he had a pretty good season. He was, um, I think uh, I think PFF was uh, gave him a good grade, but look, PFF is PFF. We won't get into that. It's another day's argument. But what what about yourself? What are you thinking that the Ravens should be targeting for the early rounds of the draft? Yeah, in terms of inside linebacker, I, I've seen some of that as well. I mean, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa from Notre Dame is someone who, if he falls to the Ravens, I mean, unbelievable. Same with Micah Parsons, but. To me, I think, again, interior of the offensive line is really important. Also, we, we have to figure out what, what's happening with Orlando Brown Jr. He, he apparently is pretty dead set on playing left tackle, and the Ravens can't do that for him because Ronnie Stanley is arguably one of the best tackles in the entire league, and they're not going to you know replace Ronnie Stanley with Orlando Brown there. So it seems like Orlando Brown, the situation is either they trade him, get some compensation, or they, they let him play out the year. It right tackle in 2021 they let him go and the contract he'd sign would probably be third round compensatory pick worthy so it's not like he'd walk for nothing but it seems like 2021 is the last year Orlando Brown is going to be in Baltimore if he's even on the roster so if that old situation plays out I think a, an offensive tackle would be someone who the Ravens would go after early maybe a Liam Eikenberg Elijah Tucker who has experience playing both guard and center also safety is an underrated need the Ravens you know we were talking about Earl Thomas earlier right the Ravens fans uh they have an interesting opinion of Earl Thomas. His tenure did not end very well in Baltimore and honestly didn't really go well outside of his play on the field. Um, so they had to cut him about a week before the year started and Deshaun Elliott comes in and plays really well. All things considered, he had to learn a whole new position and was you know, playing free safety when he primarily played strong safety. That was his position coming into college. But for Deshaun Elliott, I think still using him on the field with a true free safety. So a guy like Javon Mower got a TCU or you could take Javon Holland in the later rounds out of Oregon. Those guys would be really nice fits on this defense. And the Ravens could use some edge help there as well. Gregory Rousseau out of Miami, Jalen Phillips out of Miami, Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia. Those guys all could be good fits. So the Ravens have some needs to fill. And I think free agency will dictate kind of where they go in this draft. Yeah, I would. Well, look, as a Seahawks fan, I know all about Earl Thomas as well. And, you know, if, if stories are led to be believed, I think he took the whole term brotherly love to a whole new level. But look, we'll leave, we'll leave it at that. Um, like we spoke about with Dak's contract, Lamar is going to be um, up for renewal soon. Like you were mentioning, um, DaCosta, the GM, has mentioned that talks haven't really started yet, but they're confident. Um. 40 million seems to be the benchmark. Uh, is that something that would be enough or do you think maybe it's going to take a little more? 
it might take a tiny bit more. I, I wouldn't anticipate it being like $50 million a year or anything crazy like that, but maybe 41, 42, even 43 here. I mean, the cap is going to go up a pretty good amount, I think, after this offseason, just because I think, you know, they'll get fans back in the stadium and the NFL will get some revenue back. So, you know, right now when when the cap is down, contract extensions might not be as lucrative as I think people had first thought heading into the 2020 season. But, I mean, for the Ravens, they have to decide, you know, how much they're going to give Lamar Jackson in the first year. You know, do they want to backload? Do they want to front load it? The Ravens had one of the more interesting quarterback extensions off of a rookie deal with Joe Flacco in 2013, when Joe Flacco had arguably the greatest playoff run from a quarterback, or at least one of them in NFL history. He throws 11 touchdowns, no interceptions in four games, leads the Ravens to a Super Bowl. His contract, his contract extension crippled the Ravens team. They had to get rid of a bunch of stars, Ed Reed, Bernard Pollard, Danelle Ellerby, Anquan Bolden, so many different guys. And with quarterbacks who get these big extensions, even talking about Dak Prescott, as I know we were earlier with them having so many big contracts already, the Ravens are now entering that area where they drafted well, really well. They had a bunch of guys on rookie contracts, but now you have to decide. You can't keep all of them. Matthew Judon and Yanni Kingakwe are products of that. You know, they, they have to prioritize who they keep. They paid Marlon Humphrey and Ronnie Stanley $100 million contracts almost each. And that, that's tough. They, they have to sign Mark Andrews. It's just looking like they're going to prioritize him. But Lamar Jackson is obviously the big the big piece here. He, he makes the Ravens the, who the Ravens are. He is their offense. So I'd say probably $40 million is that benchmark, as you mentioned. But I could see it going as high as probably 43 even maybe $44 million a year. Can you see the Ravens being a little bit nervous giving him more guaranteed money given the play style and how we've seen a lot of quarterbacks up to now? Obviously, Orgy 3 on the Washington team being that original guy who we paid okay, we had him on his rookie deal, but right as he was about to to grow, came down with that injury. And we've seen these quick runner guys, these mobile quarterbacks, sometimes be at risk of injury. Is that something you'd be comfortable with them giving a lot of? Like, just let's not think the worst, let's think the best, and let's give them this guaranteed money? Or are you saying, look, let's be realistic here. Let's be very careful about where we draw these guaranteed monies and where we put extra incentives for this guy. Yeah, I, I certainly think the Ravens will take that into account because Lamar Jackson does take, you know, more hits than maybe quarterbacks who stay in the pocket more often. But Lamar Jackson, I've been very impressed with his growth in terms of how he protects his body. He he doesn't take a ton of huge shots, obviously, again, more than the guys who stand in the pocket. But, you know, it used to be he would he would look for contact, you know, charge guys head on. And, and with his frame, he he's not a very he's not Cam Newton-esque in that term where, you know, he's not that thickly built running quarterback. But Lamar Jackson's very smart with his body. So in terms of, you know, guaranteeing the money, not guaranteeing the money, I think a lot of teams try to get out of that as much as they can with any player. Uh, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's specific towards a, a player like Lamar Jackson or, or, or a player like Tom Brady, because it gives teams flexibility. For example, mm-hmm. looking at someone like, you know, maybe Adam Thielen from the Vikings, who his contract is pretty big in the grand scheme of things, but after I think next season for the next two years of that deal, the Vikings can cut him and have no dead money. And you can just say, well, we're not going to pay you these $13 million. And, and, you know, Adam Thielen doesn't get that money. So with Lamar Jackson, it's always tough to pay a quarterback because they're they're They are a team. And when you're giving a quarterback that type of money, you know, you're, you're banking on them to stay healthy. And if, and if they're not healthy, you know, you kind of see what you saw with the Cowboys where, you know, that whole team falls apart because they don't have their star player there. You're relying on a guy like Andy Dalton or in the Ravens case, it would have been Robert Griffin third. So the Ravens are going to go into this with the mindset that, Hey, look, Lamar Jackson is our guy. We know that he, 
fits our play style well, and he is going to be our franchise. And it'll be the same thing with Baker Mayfield and, and with Josh Allen and even Kyler Murray when it gets down to it. But at the end of the day, I mean, the Ravens are going to have to pay Lamar Jackson a big amount of money. And in turn, that will in some degree cripple the roster and the Ravens will have to go after more unjacked free agents. And they'll have to sign more guys to veteran minimum contracts. They can't go after guys on the open market like Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay. So with guaranteed money, it's, it's always tough. And teams will try to, you know, squeeze every penny out of that that they can. But I think Lamar Jackson will certainly get the payday he deserves. Okay. Um, actually, this is a question I want to ask everyone here in that as well, because you've just mentioned that, Kevin, there, that with these high contracts, you know, the other positions have to be sacrificed. And what we've seen is players mostly on QBs on their rookie contracts seem to have a better chance of winning a Super Bowl for the team because then they can load other areas of the squad uh, with obviously better free agent signings or trades or whatever. So do you guys think there is maybe... Uh, maybe it's sort of trading that that maybe paying the QB the big bucks is going to ha- hurt the team in the long run. Um, now I'm not saying that. Look, listen, let's just take a uh, sorry. Let's just put Chase Daniel, Chase Jan- Daniel, I should say, in a quarterback, and we're going to win the Super Bowl if we have you know uh, Lamar or, or if we have a, a great running back and great wide receivers and a great O line and great defense. But you know, is a sort of the higher these contracts are going, is it sort of hurting teams' chances a little more? Like, what do you guys think? Uh, like, Fiona, start with you. Yeah, I think I think that's by design. Like, obviously, the cap, the salary cap is there f- for a reason. They want to limit these things. But I think it's one of those things that keeps the NFL competitive year in and year out. Obviously, your draft stock goes up and down. And obviously you can get these guys, especially with the CBA now, you know exactly how long and how large these new contracts are going to be, but not what they're going to be once you get on. So not just at the quarterback level, when you get a star anywhere, all of a sudden you go from paying this guy peanuts and having a great deal to really having to weigh up how much money, like we've discussed, guaranteed money, total contract money, the amount of years, all these no trade clauses, no tag clauses, And I think that's something uh, the NFL encourages through the, by not putting any of these weird things in the CBA and letting these contracts be much freer in that it's this extra step of rate limiting. Yes, you can have your amazing guy, but at a certain point, unless guys like say Odell or something can swallow their ego and all make a pact to say, yeah, we're all going to come to this one team and take 10 million a year, which is never going to happen. It's another way of leveling the game, uh, the playing field, and keeping all the teams as competitive as possible over a long-term 20-year, 30-year projection. Yeah, with a lot of these things, it's kind of like a fine line of overpaying your quarterback or having someone like Chase Daniels lead your team. You're obviously not winning the Super Bowl with Chase Daniels, but again, you don't want to hamstring your team too much by giving somebody a huge contract. We see in other teams give huge contracts that are mistakes to other quarterbacks like Jared Goff and stuff. I'm not a big fan of them. Um, and then it, it kind of hamstrings your team and you're forced to do stuff like trade picks away to get players because you can't afford them um, and stuff like that. But like, you don't want to spend that much money you have to have that nice 
divide between your star quarterback and say some other star positions because you don't want to have your team too low level, but you can't have every top 10 player on your team at all. Tom Brady is the ultimate example of how none of this applies to anyone. <laughs> like, it's been a long time since he's a rookie and he's won a lot of Super Bowls, man. But he does take a lot of team-friendly deals. 100%. Yeah, that's what Jake is saying there. You just need the balance. Once yeah. you figure out that someone who actually wants to win more than they want to get paid, that's probably when you're going to be in a good spot. Yeah, and that's actually – it's an interesting point as well because, you know – especially with, with the Cardinals, you know, they, they have Kyler on his, on his rookie deal and you probably have maybe another two seasons, maybe three, if you're lucky to keep him on that right. rookie deal before you pay him the big bucks. So do you see it yourself maybe as that could be a Super Bowl win though? Yeah. I was actually thinking about this earlier when Jake gave me the text saying to come on, I was just thinking, we will have to pay him soon. And once we have to pay him, does your Super Bowl window slam shut then? Or like, I don't even think the Cardinals window is open yet. <laughs> and it's already, I'm already thinking about it closing, you know, it's, it's a real catch 22. So I, I think if you can get a guy to take a team friendly deal, you have a much higher chance of winning. But look, we've seen Dak on a team friendly deal for years and they, they still didn't get anywhere near it. But still, we've seen the Saints there magically play around with uh, cap space for years and kick the can, the cap can down the road. It hasn't worked for them, but maybe with a better quarterback, they would have been much higher on that list. So maybe signing your quarterback to a big deal doesn't necessarily kill you, but it certainly doesn't help that you can't sign them, the Kenny Galladay's of the world on your team. Yeah, for sure. And Kevin, what do you think about that situation as well? Obviously, like we said, with, with Lamar's probably contract renewal, if not imminent, like very, very close. Yeah, I mean, even even looking at, you know, Levante David's deal here that just, that just broke, I mean, two years, $25 million, Levante David could easily be making upwards of $10 million a season here, but decides to take the team-friendly deal in hopes of probably getting Shaq Barrett back for this team and Tom Brady taking team-friendly deals. I mean, yeah, the Ravens, the Ravens have had some some interesting experiences again with the extensions for quarterbacks, you know, namely with Joe Flacco, the, the, the rookie extension for him, like he earned that he deserved it. But then the mistake was re-extending him in 2016. And that was, that was, you know, the Ravens could not sign anybody. They were, they were signing guys off the street. It like during the season, it was, it was this whole thing. So if a team can get a guy to take a team friendly deal, I mean, I don't think it necessarily, you know, hurts a team as much as everybody in the whole NFL world is, might let on it does but you know Patrick Mahomes right now you know when he was on his rookie contract it certainly helped the Chiefs build this team around him and as dominant as Mahomes is I mean he's still they'll be in the Super Bowl contention for years and years to come but now with paying Mahomes so much money people were talking about well there's no way they can keep Chris Jones right like Chris Jones is one of the best defensive players in the league there's no way and they go around they turn around and sign him to this 80 million dollar contract and they're like where do they get this money from so I think it also depends on who's running your front office. You know, do you have a cap guru in there who can work around the money, backload deals, front load certain deals? The Ravens paid, I think, just under half of Marcus Peters' three-year contract in the first year in 2020. So now they don't necessarily have to be tied to him for two more years. They could restructure that deal. They could 
cut him after another season. So even just restructuring contracts, I mean, the Steelers and big Ben just did that with Ben Roethlisberger and that opened up a couple of million dollars for them, you know, with Drew Brees, who knows how that's going to play out with his contract, but still, I mean, the saints were a team that, you know, earlier, like in September, October, people were like, they're, they're going to have to cut half their team and they're, they're not going to like, they're going to have 25 undrafted free agents on their roster. But now here they are placing the franchise tag on Marcus Williams and still having, uh, you know, they're still in the negatives, but they, they're a lot bigger of a player than I think a lot of people think they were, you know, back in the early parts of the 2020 year. So if you have a good GM, if you have some cap gurus in there, I think you can work around the guaranteed money and the big extensions for quarterbacks. You know, if you're able to get some guys to buy into the culture and say, hey, we can win this thing. We just need you to take $1 million less here or $3 million less there. I think that's a big part of it too. Cool. Uh, anyone here about Kyle Rudolph situation where they went to him and asked him to restructure his deal. And he said, actually, no, I don't want to restructure my deal. I want more targets. Next day he got cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, they can't, they obviously couldn't promise that Kirk Cousins would be able to throw the ball to him that many times next season. So uh, that's all. And look, Fionn, you know more about that than anyone else. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. throw the ball well, which is unfortunate for a quarterback. Yeah. Well, listen, that's, uh, I think that's... Wait, Kevin, I have to ask, though. I do have to ask, did Lamar poo? <laughs> the question of the season, honestly. You know, he, he, he chalked up the cramps. I, I don't know if that's all that believable. I mean, his teammates will say that he didn't do it. I, I personally think it, it, he might have. But it'll, 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 it'll come out in some documentary like 20 years from now, like they'll, they'll do a whole documentary on like the, the COVID season and they'll have that game like front and center. And, you know, you'll see him running out of the tunnel, throwing that touch. I mean, it was, it was literally like out of a movie. Like you literally saw it out of a movie. He comes, he leaves the game, comes back. The Ravens were, they raised, if Lamar Jackson could, did not come back in that game. They, the Ravens are warming up Willie Sneed at quarterback because Robert Griffin the third got hurt. Trace McSorley had just gone down the previous play. So they, they were going to have really sneak come in there and try to lead that comeback. And if they don't win that game, their season's pretty much all but over. So, you know, if, the, if the, I say, I say he probably might've, but I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put that in there. Cause I know Lamar Jackson would never want that to get out. And it just asks, do we know whose all or nothing season was recorded for last year? That could have been set up for the Ravens. <laughs> just say it, but no, it's just serious. But um, look, maybe we will find out. He probably did. <laughs> you know, when you got to go, you got to go. Like, go. I know, I don't know, feel I bad know. about saying that you have to go. You know, <laughs> Jake's in total agreement there with that. Thanks, Jake. Uh, but I think that's a perfect place to uh, wrap it up. Dan, listen, thanks so much for coming on today. Hopefully, uh, you weren't too uh, over overawed by this glamorous podcast. <laughs> thanks for having me on, guys. Great fun. Nice no to problem. do. No problem. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on as well. Before we let you go, where can we uh, find your show and your socials? Yeah, for me, it's uh, my show is Locked on Ravens. We do five days a week there, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Eastern times when we put out our content. Uh, my Twitter is at ChaosStriker34. That's my personal account. And then uh, the show Twitter is at Locked on Ravens. Perfect. Uh, before we let you go as well, if you haven't already, please, if you can like this video, if you're watching on YouTube and while you're at it, subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network. If not, you can get us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. Just Google search uh, or any uh, or Apple podcast search under Center Podcast or Dynamo Podcast Network. Also, our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash under Center Podcast, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok is all the same handle at under Center Pod. Uh, 
Fiona and Jake, as always, thank you guys for coming on. Our pleasure. I look forward to seeing the Oprah interview next week. Hopefully uh, we find out if the baby is a Cowboys fan or could be an Eagles fan, you know, plot twist. (laughs) That is it for the show this week. Uh, Tune in next week where we'll be taking another two teams on and looking at their off-season needs. But until then, stay safe and we will speak to you soon.